This is episode 21 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gelman. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. I'm so excited and honored to have the opportunity to interview Dottie Lamb today on Extraordinary Women Radio. Dottie is a former First Lady of Colorado and a legendary women's movement leader and activist. For me, I'm in my early activist days, finding my own voice, my passions around women's empowerment. The Women's March earlier this year was the first time I ever marched for a cause that I care about. And it was an exhilarating day, and I felt part of something so much larger than me. I love the work I get to do as a board member of the Women's Foundation of Colorado. And by the way, Dottie Lamb was one of the original founding members and its first president when the organization started 30 years ago. So I feel this, this sisterhood, this kindred spirit connection to her because of this great work that she did. Again, the work I do for the Women's Foundation is so much larger than me. It's making a difference to women and girls today, but it's also making a difference for women and girls in our future. And while my activist days are new, the work I do empowering women isn't new. I've been doing this a long time. I love the work I get to do with my female clients one-on-one -on -one and in groups and in community. It's about uplifting and empowering them into their purpose and the impact that they each want to make on our world. I love helping set their voices free to help create this big ripple effect on our world of women standing up together and making a difference. And once again, it's a bigger impact than just me. And that's what's really, really cool. And Dottie has taken a stand and stood up for so many causes in her lifetime. I'm so inspired. Her writings, her teachings, her stories have made a difference and helped shape opportunities and guide policy and open doors for women and others for many, many years. I'm a little bit awe-inspired today. She marched with Betty Ford and other First Ladies on the National Equal Rights Amendment, and she worked to help pass Colorado's Equal Rights Amendment. She marched in Selma for voting rights for African Americans. And in the mid-90s, she was appointed by President Clinton to the UN Conference on Population and Development in Cairo and the Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing. Dottie was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame, an organization that I get to partner with, helping tell those inductee stories here on Extraordinary Women Radio. And I'm so honored. And she tells what it's like having been inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame during our interview. So you'll get to hear her story about that. It's awesome. And she has a long, long list of awards that have been granted to her over the years for civil rights and women's empowerment and leadership and more. I mean, it's, it's really, truly an amazing list. Dottie is a legend in her own right, and I'm so honored to have the opportunity to speak with her today. Let's meet Dottie Lamb. Hi, Dottie. It's such an honor to have you here on Extraordinary Women Radio today. Welcome. Thanks, Cammie. I'm happy to be here. Honored. Yes. And first of all, I want to congratulate you for being inducted onto the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. It had to be quite an honor. It was really an honor. And it was so long ago, frankly, and I was pretty young. And I thought, 
I don't think I deserve this, but instead of turning it down, I just decided to work harder so that not that I would become that famous, but that I would be worth be worth being in the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's <laughs> so it was awesome. kind of like a motivator rather than a reward at that point. <laughs> well, it's, and it's the impact that you've made over your career is so impressive. And I love that you so proudly own the word feminist. Let's start out today about talking about the word feminist. This word can have so many different connotations depending on who you speak with. What does feminist mean to you? Well, feminist, you know, if you go to the dictionary, it simply says the belief that women should have equal economic, social, and political power as men, which is really kind of an American value. Right, um, exactly. You know, so it shouldn't be that controversial, but the ways in which, um, first of all, the ways in which it was first demonstrated, and I admire all those heroes that got out and started screaming, but I think that what they all, what, what that did, it woke people up, but it also really unleashed the opposition. You know, they could get pigeonholed as screaming women or women that hated men. And right. most of them weren't screaming and most of them did not hate men. And I've met a lot of the famous ones since that time. But it started a division at a time when um, society was still pretty patriarchal and a lot of women bought into that too. Right. So it was like, you're, not, you're, you're threatening my role. If I'm a homemaker and support my husband in what he does, or if I don't believe in birth control, or you know, it was put, uh, just the Equal Rights Amendment, for instance, was the scare tactics that came up and the way they then used feminist um, against feminists who really had a very reasonable goal. Right. And I fought some of that because I was first lady and was supposedly supposed to be ladylike. Well, I thought it was ladylike to fight for women's rights. So <laughs> that, that's just kind of a brief overview. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when, when you think back to that time, and it, and, and it probably took that amount of forceful energy coming out into the world very early on as that as that term as that those concepts were being you know talked about um how has that shifted from that time to now and how we as women show up in our lives in our feminist power well, I think we could talk about the difference between what's happened and what people are still talking about. Mm -hmm. Because the fact is that women are everywhere now and women are doing better in high school and college. Um, women have not broken the glass ceiling at the top. There's too many women in poverty at the bottom. So I'm not saying that the problem has uh, gone away. No, but I am no. saying that women have made enormous strides um, uh, partly because of, of laws like Title IX and, you know, the various equal rights laws, even though the Equal Rights Amendment never passed. But the, 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 the language and the, the um, arguments lack way before, behind what's happening. And right now, we've got a reversion, I think, of women's rights. And we've got, just like I think we've had a reversion of racial equality where we're kind of going back to old ways we're really not that's the wrong thing to say we are not going back to old ways but old arguments are coming up 
that should be dead by now about whether right. a woman should go to work or whether a woman should have control over her reproductive rights or, you know, whether an African-American is equal. I mean, those things should be over. They should be long gone, but in, and they've come yeah, back in a, in a loud way recently. Very loud, yes. Yeah. And so we have, to, we have to keep fighting. And I'm encouraged by women's progress, but I'm discouraged by the fact that they're not at the very top in most areas and that, and that they're still at the very bottom. So that's the way I see it right now. Yeah. And there's that, you know, that, that, like you said, there's this poll that kind of pulls conversations back into ways where we're going, why are we still having these conversations? Why hasn't this changed? Exactly. Yeah. And, and the fact is it's changed, but we're still talking as if it hasn't. Right. I think one, they, one of the yeah. best things people can do is bring up an example rather than argue. Um, there was a column this weekend in the paper by Diane Carmen, who was, she didn't argue against that guy who made statements that, uh, the, the guy in high tech, I can't remember his name, but he made statements that women weren't equal and were, women weren't as good in technology. But she didn't take on his argument. She just presented this whole parade of women who didn't fit that stereotype. And, you know, they're just out there. And I think that's what we have to do. Yeah, I like that. It's I like taking the the the, the high road, right? Go high. Yeah. And, and showing and, what's happening, not just arguing back about, oh, yes, we are equal. And, right. you know, our biology, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just isn't going to get you anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> so, and, and you, over the years, you have been polit politically engaged for basically your whole adult life, correct? Well, actually, I have to give my husband credit for that. Okay. I, I was really not uh, aiming for a political life. I was aiming for the life of a social worker who would do good with people one at a time. I, I mean, community social work hadn't even come in vogue that much when I went to graduate school. But being married to Dick, we realized that our goals were very similar. We had different ways of going after them. And I finally realized that, you know, if he was going to be um, in the political spotlight, it was better for me to be there too. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, you know, we wouldn't, I thought we wouldn't be in the public spotlight that long. And then I could go back to being a social worker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> didn't work that people, way, did it? Yeah. People say, uh, people, people will say to me, especially when they've read my newspaper column, you really sound like a social worker. And some of them will say it with awe, you know, it's really a compliment. And others will say it with, oh my Lord, <laughs> you just sound like a bleeding heart social worker. So anyway, that's me. And, and how did you get engaged in the, in the women's movement then? Was it when, when, when Dick became um, the governor or what, um, what, where was it that you decided I'm getting engaged? And was there a specific story that really got you? Well, there's a up? couple of stories. Um, one, um, one was, is, is a kind of a typical thing that happened at that time. I had a very enlightened, um, uh, social work um, a, a counselor or advisor in social work school. He was a very white liberal male and he'd been out there fighting for the rights of blacks and other people of color. And um, he actually made the statement to me that um, he didn't think women needed to be paid as much as men because they didn't support families. Mm. 
And at that point, I was the second earner in my household. I Mm -hmm. was not working full time. And I was not so much aghast at what that said to me. But standing next to me was this woman that he had known for years. She was a supervisory level that he was at. And she was a widow. And she was raising teenagers. Right. And it was like, I I just stood there and I looked back. I didn't have the guts at that time to say, what are you talking about? Look at Elaine. (laughs) (laughs) But that just hit me that if men like him that were so liberal in so many other ways were that bad, I had to get involved. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was when, that was not when Dick was governor. He was in the legislature and I was finished, finishing graduate school. Okay. And the courage, I mean, and I think this is really important for us all to be thinking about right now is, is the courage to find our voice, to stand up for something, to, to, to really choose what we want to make an impact on. And it does take courage to go out and be heard. What would you tell women who were, you know, on that? Yes, I, I want to make a difference. Um, how, but it, it, it feels scary to me. It feels like, you know, that, that step out. How do you, how would you advise them to really get past that and own the courage that's within them? Well, one of the things like with this example, I, I didn't have the courage to say that to my supervisor at that time, mm-hmm. but I did have the courage to go out and act on it. And it was almost like I had to start acting on things before I could stand up and say, you know, this is why I'm here. One of the things that was helpful to me is that Dick was always a a feminist, at least politically. We've had some of our battles in the household about who does what. (laughs) (laughs) But but it was that wonderful statement by a famous feminist years ago. I've been married to a capitalist. I've been married to a communist. And neither one of them took the garbage out. So, you know, (laughs) actually Dick did take the garbage. But there were so many personal things we had to work out in our marriage around that. But politically, he totally agreed with me. He thought that it was a total waste if women's talents weren't used. He looked at it from a societal standpoint, not only women's rights, but why are we, why are we repressing these people that have all this ability to give to society? Right. So it can really yes, courage in one standpoint, but I was lucky I didn't have to go against my entire family. I didn't have to go against my husband with my stands. And I compare myself of, of, you know, that was pretty easy compared to somebody like Margaret Sanger, who's one of my um, role models, Margaret Sanger, who started bringing birth control to the women in the ghettos early on and was imprisoned for it and went against the law. But she not only went against the law, she went against her whole Catholic family. And I think when you rise up and go against the people that really mean something to you. Right, that you love and you care about. That's the kind of courage that I think is beyond beyond where I have been, frankly. I've been courageous in terms of, you know, making bold choices and, you know, being contrary to the general will, but not, not usually to my family and what they believe. Right, right. I like the idea of, of acting. If, you know, it's, it's move into the action first and the courage comes along with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Did to me, and then yeah. I got my voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's great advice. Um, so you were one of the original founders of the Women's Foundation of Colorado, an organization that I hold dear and near to my heart. 
and also the organization's first president. What was your why, your reason you said yes to the Women's Foundation? I said yes to that partly because of the influence of Swanee Hunt, who was, uh, she doesn't like to be called a philanthropist, but she was a philanthropist and knew uh, women's causes, had to separate herself from the H.L. Hunt family to do all this, but right. I'll let you tell her story. I'll let her tell her story <laughs> sometime. But she was um, wanting to start a women's foundation, and she had seen a lot of the beginnings of women's foundations or any kind of women's activities falter because they took what she called the bake sale mentality. And mm -hmm. she wasn't, she wasn't uh, criticizing women for baking. That wasn't it. She was saying that women were thinking they're going to raise money little by little each year at a bake sale, and then they'll give away what they can to whatever group they think is worthy. And then usually the interest in that kind of a thing folded. They never really got anywhere. So she decided that we should, a group of women should get together and try to raise big money. And she, of course, could raise the most because she had the contacts. But she made the rest of us all stretch in what we gave and who, whom we asked um, to, to, to be involved, to whom else we asked. And that was a, a new stretch for me. I'd asked for political money before, but, we, but this was a, a real stretch to ask a lot of people wealthy for this cause. And at that time, there were wealthy women who, you know, well, I've always given to colleges, you know, my husband's college, my husband's football team. And so we were finding those women out there that we were trying to wake up the donor class, you know, right, and right. to say why this was needed for women. So it was hard to sell, but it was fun to do. And we made the decision that we, if we couldn't raise the million dollars that we planned to raise uh, to start the Women's Foundation, then we weren't even going to tell anybody we did it. We were going to fold up like the bake sale girls. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We couldn't mm -hmm. do that. We weren't mm -hmm. going to go public. Well, we raised $2 million, and that was partly with the help of someone who gave a big grant, and it was a challenge grant. But the fact is that we, and it was huge news, huge news, and it was at a time that the economy wasn't very good, and a lot of charities were suffering, and everybody just sat up and took notice and not only wanted, then people who it became the society, socially acceptable thing to do, some of the women who had turned us down now wanted to get on board. So it was a very, <laughs> like, oh, very interesting. You turned some heads. But people we did seeing. make a big mistake. We did make one big mistake. And, and what that was that? Was, well, we didn't bring in the grassroots. We didn't bring in people at the kind of the bottom who had usually started these things before. And that was partly out. We didn't want to be, we didn't want to disappoint again, but they felt very shut out. A lot of the women of color, a lot of the women that some of the people had started the group that had worked with politically, including myself, women that were really into childcare and early childhood education. Um, we ignored them and there was a huge blow up around that, that um, almost derailed the thing, but it, Swanee was, is a, she was a, became an ambassador, but she was a diplomat far before right. that. And right. she and a bunch of her close friends in that group, worked, we worked out very quickly a way for them not only to be involved, but to take leadership. But it was a very exciting to do, and it was thrilling to do, and it's still going today, as you know, and yes. our economic self-sufficiency 
is still our main our main goal for right. women. Right, and and that those values of inclusivity are certainly a core part of the organization as well. You know that yes, yes. Um, and the diversity yes. and 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 bringing all you know people from all walks of life to to engage and help and you know bring our minds together because we're so much more strong and powerful when we have that diversity well, yes, sitting around and the table. One of, one of the things that I said early on in terms of diversity was um, I was first lady of Colorado, not of Denver. And I said, if this isn't the Colorado Women's Foundation, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've already been in Durango when they tell me that there's paid more attention to by the by the uh, state of New Mexico than they are to the state of Colorado. <laughs> you know, I don't want people feeling isolated if they're not not only not in the in group, but not in the front range. Right, right, and that yeah. value certainly carries forward now today as yeah, well. Right, right. So what? Oh, the way I became president was very oh, yeah. accidental. Yeah, tell me that. Um, I was, I was, we were, my husband and I were about to leave office. I had about one year left, and then I had told them, we're going off somewhere. I'm not going to be active. Well, um, somebody <laughs> the got the famous idea. last words, when, right? When I, when I went to, the, I, I made the mistake of going to the restroom, and they held an election, and they said, you know, Dottie's not going to be with us for a while let's 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 elect her president now and keep her while we can so it wasn't my talent that i was any better than it was like let's keep her while we still have her that's awesome i love that story yeah. that's, so what are the most urgent challenges you think women are faced that, that are facing women right now um well economically and this isn't only women but it's worse for women the the gap between the rich and the poor has just gotten worse and worse and worse. It keeps widening, right? Pardon me? It's it keeps widening. widening, right. It keeps widening. And the people that are now on food stamps or that are on welfare are people that maybe 10 or 15 years ago would have been considered working class or, um, you know, and would have had good jobs, and whether it's a woman or a, a, a couple. So that, that's a huge problem, and often when families split up because of this, the women have the charge of the children. But I also think, and, and Dick and I started our feminist activities and reproductive rights, and I just think that the backlash against the right to abortion or the backlash against even family planning now by men and women who are still in that patriarchal mode right. that, that women should not have the control over their lives or their bodies. And I think that the, the basic uh, right of a woman to control her body and her family, uh, whether how many children she wants and when, or if she doesn't want children, kind of underlies everything else that she can do with her life. Right. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that the you know, even if you look at the healthcare scenario that's, you know, unfolding in, in our nation, and there's no women sitting around the table having the discussions. It's, it just is crazy to me that that can be taking place in that sort of a way. It, exactly, exactly. And it, and the women, you know, they're, they're, I won't go over the health care bill, but there's all kinds of ways that they're not in there or that their needs are not equal or, you know, well, you know, we will subsidize Viagra but not birth control. You know, right, that kind right. of thing is just crazy, but it keeps going on. 
Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's getting women in the conversations, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in the, you know, the leadership circles of corporations, whether it's in, in, in our government, you know, it's, it all realms of it, getting women's voices heard, I think is so critical and so important to, for, for everyone to be stepping up in whatever mode and role that they have the opportunity to step up in. And we were tending toward that with the past few administrations um, uh, in, in terms of appointments and also more women getting elected to office. I think that, by the way, is going to get better. Yes, I, think women I do are too. Really I'm charged right I'm now. I'm excited to see the, the movement that is yeah. taking place and the, you know, the organization that is helping to uplift women and their capabilities to go out and fundraise and, and run for office. That's very exciting right, to right. me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and women need to be, you know, critical mass, which is about 40% in all this leadership position, but it also has to be the right women. I don't want to get overtly political, but some of the women that are appointees right now, they're not going to be much help. Right. So, they do have to be the know. right leader type yeah. people that are stepping into that. And leaders and leaders for women. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, on that, you know, the, you know, back to that gap of, of, you know, that, that ever growing gap that's happening between, um, you know, the, the, the wages and where people sit in that spectrum, right. Um, and, and overcoming that, what are some of your ideas on the challenges that women can help, can help move, move women out of the, the lower income into, um, a livable wage? Well, education is one thing, and I think the fact that girls, even in poorer communities, girls that are going to be mothers someday probably are becoming more educated. I also think there's a lot of government policies that we can't go into right now, but there was a woman I was just reading a column about who she is for the minimum wage, but she feels if it goes up too high, it could do more harm than good, and she has all of these other ideas of tax relief, and um, I can't think of the, the name of this one program, but a lot of ways that you bring people up while you're trying to bring the minimum wage up slowly. Mm-hmm. So I think you have, because when we're talking about minimum wage, yes, it's more women make lower wages, but the fact is it's a men's problem too. Oh, it totally and is. You, you, it's whole you family problems, this. right? It's the whole family problem, right? Right, right. 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 Um, and it's complicated, right? It's, it's not a, it's certainly, there is not, there are not a, just, you know, a straight shot answer. This is the only way to approach no, this. It's, and it's one a of very the complicated. Things the women, yeah. The Women's Foundation at first, way back, really didn't give to anything that wasn't directly kind of d- geared toward economic self-sufficiency. So that would be schooling or it would be um, ra- maybe raising a wage in one one job or something like that. But it very fast became, well, if women don't have good childcare, if women don't have good health, if women don't have um, uh, right to contraception, uh, they're not going to be economically independent. So, you know, one of the things about the foundation now is that it gives to a whole lot of things and it's gotten involved in legislation too that makes a difference. Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. And um, you, so you write, and just tell us a little bit about your, your Denver Post um, um, that you write every 
You write on a weekly month. basis? Month, month. Every month. monthly basis. Okay. Every month. Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I want people who are listening to know that that is over. I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. Last one was this Sunday. But oh, I it was. Did, yeah, it was. It was on charter schools. Anyway, now I'm not pushing my column. I'm not going into that but the, or, or, or all the reasons for that. But the fact is that I decided uh, when I was first lady and Dick hadn't even been elected the second time that I had a voice and I ought to use it. And I wanted to be a columnist. And <laughs> I, I went to the Denver Post and I actually knew, um, I knew the man who ran it then, Bill Hornby, who has died since. Um, and I said, I have, um, I have an idea because you men, you newspaper people, all you talk about is radical feminists and stay-at-home moms. You never talk about the women in the middle that are moms and they're feminists and they're active whether they're working or not. And I want to talk about that woman. Well, he was just like, oh, my Lord, where did she come from? <laughs> um, anyway, he, but he listened and he said, well, there might be a spot for you, but you, your husband's running for office. If we let you write now, everybody who is running against him would want their wife to write too. We'd have to give equal time. He said, if he wins or if he loses, come back and talk to me. Well, a week after Dick won his second term, I went back and talked to them. And we had, I had a weekly column and then a, oh, a column. I, for a long time, it was almost a full-time job, even though I was doing it from home, two columns a week. And I did it for years and then I left and then I ran for office and then I came back and now I'm leaving again. But it's been a wonderful vehicle for me. And I haven't stayed just with feminist issues. You know, I've written about right. a lot of things. And right. Um, and, and controversial things, gun control, gay rights, things like that before they were popular. Right. Or right. they may still not be before, popular, yeah. but before they were <laughs> even talked about. Right. Be, yeah. Depending who you talk to, right? Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. So, so you've also written about this disadvantages boys and men face in this modern era. As a, and as a mom of a son, I'm really interested in hearing more about this. What are... Well, I'm not only the mom of a son, I'm the mom of a grandma of three grandsons. Yeah, yeah. And, but what this, where this came was that my husband teaching at DU and me seeing in other ways how girls in high school, starting in about middle school, when they used to fade back, so many girls were stepping up, taking the leadership, getting better grades, aiming for college, caring more about career, and my husband saw that at DU, that it was the women in his honors classes. It was the women who were the leaders and were outperforming the men academically. So I started to look at this and I wasn't going to fall into that anti-feminist thing. Well, it's the feminist movement's fault. It castrated boys. I mean, that's what people were taking up. And mm. I wanted to get into the fact of how do we, boys learn differently from girls. Right. We've now learned really how to teach girls better. How do we learn to teach boys better from the very beginning? Because a feminist to me wants equal rights for both genders. Exactly. No, you, you don't want a group. So women may get to the top. You don't want a group of men who aren't qualified to hold their own um, at, the mid, at the middle level where most People are at the middle level. They're not at the top or the bottom. So I got on a, on a real kick about this. I wrote an article, and that's how I got hired back at the Post, the man there that time. 
liked it. He was a father of three girls, but mm -hmm. he'd seen it happening. And he said, would you come back and write for us again? But I still believe very strongly in, particularly in the school years and the development of boys, that we've got to be doing more things for boys, maybe single sex classes, maybe a lot of things that as a feminist, I wouldn't have been for once. But right. we have right. to look at what works for boys too. We yeah. do have to see what works for both, both genders and being able to really uplift all people. So I, I so appreciate that. So you've been married for almost 55 years to a man who was governor of Colorado for 12 years. And, you know, he's always been this public figure. How were you able to really differentiate, differentiate yourself and your goals from his? Well, it was really hard at first because I was raised traditionally. I mean, I was mm -hmm. raised to be honest and, and outspoken, but not you know, within my family, um, my mother and father had a good relationship, but um, she was somewhat subordinate to him. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I needed to be subordinate, but it was hard for me to go out on a limb and attract attention um, if, if it didn't work for his career too. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, my going out on a limb and attracting attention, I think did work for his career. I think more than for some people who, who are not in public office or for people who don't share the same values. But my book, uh, Second Banana, that I wrote about four years after I'd been writing at the Post, that talked about what it felt like to be one down and how, my, how I and how, my, my, how women were rising up and um, it, it, how Second Bananas become Top Bananas or, or you know, it was kind of corny, corny, right. it was kind of mushy. <laughs> Oh, that's good, but though. Anyway, people really responded to that. And I had a lot of letters when that when the column, there's a column called Second Banana that gave me the idea. And you didn't get as many responses in those days. There was no email. People right. had to make an effort to write you a letter. And they usually didn't unless they didn't like something, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I got about 70 letters from women from all walks of life who had had to feel that their life had to dovetail into their husbands and how frustrating that was. So I felt like I was being kind of a social worker in print. You know, they would write me and say, how do you do this and that? And I tried to give them advice, even though I didn't know their situation, which you shouldn't do as a social worker. <laughs> but, you know, it, was, it wasn't easy. And, uh, but I had... I didn't have big issue differences with my husband. The issues were more who had to be there for the kids. And well, yeah, that's fine. You're going to do this. But, you know, I can't do this. I've got to fly to Durango for some crisis. Right. So it, it wasn't easy, but it's doable. You know, yeah. Doable. And, and you gave voice to it, too. I mean, just that voice yeah. to the calm to, really helped. Exactly. Yeah, you were calm. able to open yeah. up the conversation again on, a, on an important piece of. of right of how women are rising up and things are changing. Um, and One of the things that happened then that maybe won't surprise you was that this was still back in the 70s and, um, and women would say to me, you're so brave in your column, but when does your husband have time to read them and approve them? <laughs> and I said, I said, <laughs> and they couldn't believe that I could write that way without his approval. Oh, so my. He, 
But all of those things were steps we were all trying to take at the right. time. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's every step evolves womanhood into the next level, the next um, yeah. level, right? It's the next um, realm of our, our position in the world. Yep. Yeah. So you taught a course called risk taking called or about about risk taking called reaching high, falling far and moving on, which was about surviving both success and th failure and not letting mm -hmm. either of those define us. Can you tell mm -hmm. us, is there a story behind why you're passionate about this topic um, and just what tips yes. you can share from this course? Well, the story is that after I lost my race for the U.S. Senate, you know, I'd never put myself really on the line. Writing a column is not putting yourself on the line, <laughs> like getting out and trying to get people to vote for you. Right. That was in 1998, and I lost, and I knew that I wasn't guaranteed to win. But it's still, after a year and a half or two years of plotting that and then losing, I felt very much like a failure. I felt like everything I had done was now a failure because I couldn't. I couldn't mm. um, win that race. Mm -hmm. Well, around spring, let's see, this was fall of 98. And then around spring, I was still, I did I was smart enough to take some time off. I did a lot of sleeping and a lot of skiing and not make any decisions. But about March of the next year, a woman called me from a group called the Women's Success Forum. And she said, we want you to come and lead a workshop. Um, I don't remember what, I don't know if she had assigned a copy. She said, you've been out there as a successful woman and we want you to come and lead a workshop. Mm. I almost burst into tears. <laughs> oh. I, I said, well, I can't do that. I'm a failure. You oh. know? <laughs> so she said, she said, now think about this. Now think about this. Right. You know, I don't even know who this woman is. You know, she changed, right. she changed my life. So she said, think about this. You know, there's a lot of things you can talk about. Well, I started to think about it and I started to think about taking risks and I started to think about, I was just starting to move on and recover from that. It was five months or so, six months. And so I designed this thing about reaching high, falling far and moving on. And the workshop attracted, you know, it was competed with other workshops. So I didn't have everybody, but I had a huge group. People were interested not only in the campaign, but how to apply it to their life. And I developed some ways of analyzing risk and then uh, how to deal with failure, which I was saying I was just learning to do, and then how to deal with success because being success, when my husband was successful and I became first lady, I could get a little arrogant sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know, you, so the fact was you, you got to deal with a person, both of these things in your life because they're going to happen. Right. And then different ways of moving, how to evaluate whether you take the risk and then moving on from there. And uh, it was very successful. And I um, wrote, I, I wrote columns on it and no, I wasn't writing a column then, I guess. I, I taught classes at DU. Mm -hmm. I went to weekend seminars and did it again. I thought of writing a book and I started and then someone else wrote a really good book on the subject. And I was really seeing then at my age, I was then in my early 60s, maybe I wasn't as ambitious as I used to be because my feeling of this person beating me and writing this book wasn't envy, it was relief. I thought, it's like, oh, oh thanks, somebody have, already did. I don't, have, 
I don't have to do that now. I can just keep, I can just keep talking about it and doing other things. So yeah. no, and it's been, it's been something I still apply to my life. So um, it was, it was a way for me to get a, you know, to get the message out there. I felt on a important personal and societal subject, but not be in office. It gave me the, you know, the feeling that, that one failure wasn't going to define me. Right. And it's, if we aren't failing somewhere along the line, we're probably not striving. You know, we're probably not stepping down on the edge of our comfort zone. Exactly. And we probably aren't going to learn very much. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. what, when you were talking about the moving on part, so you, you, you failed and you're moving on. What, what's the piece that you would like to share with our audience that keeps them moving on when they, you know, when they've come out of something that hasn't worked for them? Yeah, I think part of it is there's this phrase when one door closes, another opens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when one closes, more than one opens. Right. And first you have to get, you've got to take care of yourself enough to get some of your energy back. And then you have to look at, you know, okay, where do I go from here? And you have to slowly start trying to build that. And the following fall, um, I was asked to come to DU as an adjunct professor, the Leo Block Fellowship, which is um, fairly prestigious, but not, it wasn't like full-time professorship. Mm -hmm. And to talk about population and development, because I had been a delegate to population and development conferences for the UN and to do something in that area again. Mm -hmm. I was lucky because some pe that one woman and then the School of Social Work reached out to me, but you also can find those things yourself. Mm -hmm. But I think you've got to take care of yourself first and not feel like, oh, I got to go right out and do something else to prove myself. You, you need know, to make the or, space to heal. That's what you're saying. Right. On the other hand, you, you, you need to kick yourself if you're, if you're moping around too much longer. I had been in therapy when I, after my first child was born, and I look back on it now and realize that I had a certain degree of postpartum depression, but mm -hmm. they didn't call it that then. Right. So I went, I, I went back into therapy about six months after it was more of a spiritual guidance thing. But it was after my um, campaign because I didn't feel I was pulling myself out of it fast enough, even mm -hmm. though I was doing the risk stuff and I was, I was doing things, I still felt like I was moping around too much and that this was, after all, this was not a death in the family, you know, right, <laughs> you right. Know, there's a certain point where it's okay to say, get your act together. Right, yep. right. Now, yep. I certainly can think back in times in my life where, you know, something where I've fallen off of, you know, where I got laid off of a corporate job or something along those lines. And it can be just devastating where, when the whole world drops out from under you when you've yeah. been really striving for something. And what I found when I went through that experience was that I had to, um, you know, really make space for myself, get out in nature, go on hikes, do things that, that, that took care of me. And from that, that's where I finally saw, oh my gosh, there was all these other different doors that opened for me, which, you know, took me down the pathway of starting my own company, which I yeah. would have never gone to had I, you know, not fallen off of the, you know, the space that I was on. So it's, it's yes. such great lessons to be learned there. Yes, and to get out and not to consciously think about it, but let your 
unconscious kind of work while you're hiking or something. Exactly. Exactly. So you, I have to say though, that a lot of people can't do that. You know, I feel like I am talking in a some from, from a somewhat elitist position, not because I was a first lady or ran for the Senate, but because I haven't had the kind of financial pressure that I can't, I can't take care of myself because I get a, got to get another job and take care of my family. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some, there's how the person who has to move right away takes care of themselves. I hope there's more seminars and things on that right now, because uh, a lot of people don't have the luxury that I did or that you did. To be able to take that time off and that take space. That time. Yeah. yeah, no, you're mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. correct that, you know, they've got to get back out right the next day and right. go for it. Right. And, um, so that, that's a, a good point in being able, for us to be able to think about what can we do as a society to help put, provide that kind of help around other people. And I think the movement toward mindfulness and the movement toward exercise and the movement toward a lot of things that people can build into their lives, mm-hmm. even if they have to work a 40-hour week or more, right. is very healthy. Exactly. And getting together with women friends, I think women rise from these things better than men. And I don't think that's biological as much as it is social, um, right. that they form these bonds with other women. Right. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I run a series of events called um, Extraordinary Women Connect. So it's about bringing together great women together. And it's what happens, mm-hmm. the support that, that women come, when, when women come together, there is a level of support and uplifting of each other in such an emotional way. It's so powerful. Yeah. And, you know, it has physical effects on you. They say that's why widows live longer than widowers. They lose a husband, but they bind together. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. I can totally see that. So I have one final question for you today, Dottie. What three pearls of wisdom can you leave with our audience? Mm, Yeah. Well, it's kind of based on what we've talked about. I guess the first thing I would say is be kind to others and be humble. Mm -hmm. The second thing is to be self-confident, build your self-confidence. And the third would be when you fail, when a door closes, watch for other doors to open. Lovely, lovely, lovely. On on the self-confidence one, what, what is, you know, if somebody's feeling the lack of self-confidence, um, what would you, what would you advise people to, to do to help boost that self-confidence? I think it's really hard, um, particularly if you don't have like a support group. Um, I think you have to look at yourself. Where are you strong? And like I said about speaking out, do some things in the areas that you're strong and then move on to things where you feel you might not be as strong. Um, You get confidence from accomplishment. One of the things I think they found in child psychology now is that uh, if you, people would call music or sports or something frills in, in, in grammar school or in junior high or art. I think that if a child has an ability and maybe isn't doing all that well academically or doesn't have self-confidence or maybe has a family that 
doesn't support or beats them down, they can find an area they do excel in. Mm-hmm. That feeling of being able, of enablement, of, 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 there's a better word for it, and I can't think of it right now, of being able to take action, of being able to be successful, can then generate to other fields. But I think with children, it takes a lot of support from adults. With adults, you have to find a way um, to find your own group, find right. your own way sometimes. Right. Right. And, even, and just, I often take my clients through exercises of tuning into to what are, you know, what are, what are the stories in your life that you felt most accomplished, that you felt, you know, like you were really making things work for yourself? And what were the right. strengths of you that during and, that time, yeah. because if you can do more of that and you can, you know, those parts that lit you up, um, it, that again is going to open up more doors for you because that that brings back this this level of confidence by just reconnecting yes. into those those success places. Exactly, your well, own successes. Remember your own successes, not just your own failures. We tend to dwell on what we did. Oh, wrong. I know, right? <laughs> just I mean, like you said, just like That's when you email when... too, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Well, may we all be celebrating our successes. And thank you so much, Dottie. I so appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate you asking me, and I'm very honored that I was one of the women you chose. So good luck to you in continuing this business. You're just doing great work. That was a great door to open. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll we'll see you at some Women's Foundation events. I bet. Okay, Cammie. Okay, bye. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Until next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.